guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. It has been a week. We are recording this on Wednesday right before Thanksgiving. So yeah, it's been a week. It's been a long week. I would sometimes just love to watch you finish a sentence and just to see just to see where you land. I enjoyed that. <laughs> that journey was quite exciting for me. Yes, it has been a week. Well, we've been off a week, so we are back and better than ever, some might say. <laughs> and that might be us that just says that. Real quick, last week we talked about a wonderful man named Herbert who went by Herb, but we ended up saying Herb quite a few times. We are so sorry. We think the guy is wonderful, and I don't know how both of our brains decided herb was the right word to say, but we did an entire episode the entire time. Yeah. For an hour. It's really quite embarrassing. I don't think anybody's more embarrassed than we are for ourselves. So. Right? <laughs> I know. As soon as we got the first tweet, I was like, oh, no. How did, how did this happen? <laughs> and how did we not notice? <laughs> so we do apologize. We caught it. I promise we are very embarrassed, but we're all going to move on and we'll move on together. Right, Mandy? That's right. That's right. And I don't know how to transition from there, but <laughs> here you go. <laughs> so we will move on to this week's episode. <laughs> so this week we are discussing an interesting triple murder that took place earlier this year right here in Central Florida. So this episode might be a little bit different than what we typically do and really more focus on some of the interesting details of the story because it is such a new case. And although it has gone to trial already, there really isn't like a ton of information that has come out on the backgrounds of those involved in this case. But there are a lot of intricate details of what led to this murder that are super fascinating and super crazy and all of that. So before we get into what happened, we are going to tell you a little about where the crime took place in this week's segment of We Googled This City. This week, the story we are talking about took place in the town of Chuliota. Chuliota has a population of around 2,400 as of the 2010 census, and Chuliota means Isle of Pines or Pine Island. And for once, I feel like we're going to say the name right because we are familiar with this town. We are. It's very close to us. It's um, located in Seminole County and sits about 20 miles east of Orlando, but it really seems like a different world. If you've been to Chuliota, I feel like it's, right? It's like, it's yeah. its its own place. So I like to say this a lot. And, you know, when there is a town that has under 15,000 residents, it's a little hard for me to find a bunch of fun facts. I could read the wiki page to you guys, but that's really not fun for anyone. So I did my best and here we go. The Chuliota School was established in 1898 as a wooden one-room schoolhouse. Fascinating, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got there. According to his Wikipedia page, the wrestler named Scott Oliver Hall, who went by the stage name of Razor Ramon, is from Chuliota. Oh. According to Wikipedia, though, the most trusted name and Googled this city, he wasn't actually born there, and I don't actually see where he ever lived there, but he was arrested there at least twice. Oh. So <laughs> that's what I've got on that. And while Chuliota does not have a whole lot in the way of fun facts, as you can very obviously see, it is close to both Orlando and the town of Oviedo. Mandy, you'll enjoy this. Why did the chicken leave Chuliota? <laughs> why to go to Oviedo where the chickens roam around downtown oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> so did you know this about Oviedo apparently it's a bird sanctuary and the chickens are like everywhere 
Did you know I this? did know this. Do you remember one time we were driving in Oviedo and I saw peacocks or something on the side of the road? Oh, there was that time I saw an otter also. But I think I was with you when I saw some interesting birds in Oviedo once. And you so, screamed. So yeah, I feel like I did know that. Yeah. Well, I was telling my sister this fact and I was like, I've never heard about these like wandering chickens like in the town square apparently. And there's like all kinds of city ordinances that let them do this. And um, she was like, yeah, they're everywhere. And so I don't know what part of Oviedo I've been to, but I have literally never seen a chicken except the one you (laughs) screamed at (laughs) driving down the road. So these same chickens were actually subject of a documentary I found on YouTube aptly titled Oviedo Chickens Documentary. (laughs) And it's only six minutes long and yet somehow seems years longer. And I was going to end, you can probably guess how, with like a why did the chicken cross the road joke. But in looking for them, I found a really terrible thing that I had never even known. And sadly, I'm going to end you guys on this. This is terrible, Mandy. Do you know what the joke, why did the chicken cross the road even means? Wait, yeah, I I thought everyone did. Wait, okay, so what does it mean to you? Because I had to see if, what does it mean to go the, he crossed the road to get to the other side? Well, he's dying. So this is something as a child you just knew. No, no, I didn't know it as a child. Okay. I thought that this was like pretty common knowledge among adults, but I feel like <gasps> if, if people didn't know and I just told them right now, I'm sorry that I was very insensitive about it. <laughs> no, I think you were more insensitive to me about uh I think most adults know. So I hope everyone that's (laughs) taking place on all the terrible things I said just marked one down for Mandy there. (laughs) Somebody on Twitter, apparently, as I was like down a rabbit hole or a chicken hole, said that it actually could have even gone a step further and meant that the chicken meant to put himself in the road to get hit by something. Yes, that was the whole thing. I just... Yeah. I thought it was just the the darkest I ever made it to was he crossed the road and he got hit on the other side. Not he purposely crossed the road to get hit on the other side. Oh my gosh, this is a rough night for me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I feel really bad for anyone learning this information along with us because we are terrible people to like break this kind of news to someone. It's a very dark joke. Here's the thing. If I had to learn about it, so do all of you. It was a really (laughs) terrible, terrible moment for me. I thought I was breaking that to you. This is, this is awful. So that's honestly all I have. I did not have a happy way to end that. Um, I just learned some dark things and I didn't want to be alone in it. So there you go. That's what you get this week. Super sorry. Just Just, go on. (laughs) So in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the Amato family and what happened to them. The family consisted of Chad and Margaret Amato and their three sons, Jason, Cody, and Grant. Despite being 31 and 29, respectively, Cody and Grant were still living in their parents' home on Sultan Circle in Chuliota at the time of our story. The oldest brother, Jason, was Margaret's first child from a previous relationship, and he was 36 and lived with his wife and young daughters. The Amato family seemed really nice, albeit relatively average from what I could gather. Chad, who was the patriarch of the family, had made his career as a pharmacist who was currently working in the pharmacy at a CVS drugstore. He had put about 30 years into his job and should have really been nearing retirement by this point in his life. Margaret was a sweet and caring woman with a love of horses, and she worked from home, but one of her hobbies was to visit these stables that were nearby and volunteer her time helping to care for these horses that were there being boarded. 
As for the two Amato's sons that lived in the home, Cody, who was the 31-year-old, was a very hardworking and intelligent man who worked at Orlando Regional Medical Center as a nurse anesthetist. He worked 12-hour shifts to support not only himself, but also his younger brother, Grant, who was living in their parents' guest house. Cody and Grant were very close as brothers, and they did everything together. In fact, Cody was really Grant's only real friend. These two brothers went through their bouts of sibling rivalry, of course, but when Grant was in about the 11th grade, they finally developed a close relationship as brothers. Grant had gotten a nursing degree from UCF in 2011, but fell on hard times in 2018 when he lost his job at the hospital following allegations that he had actually stolen narcotics. Police had been dispatched to the hospital on reports of a suicidal person who it actually turned out to be Grant. But at the time, police felt that there really wasn't enough criteria to hold him for observation. Instead, they arrested him on charges of grand theft after finding evidence that he had stolen vials of a strong sedative known as propofol. And I couldn't remember why that drug sounded so familiar, but remember when everything went on with Michael Jackson, whenever he passed away, that seemed to be like the drug he was getting a lot of, too much of, and may have caused his death. The investigation into the alleged grand theft took six months, and during that time, Grant was not allowed to work. He was eventually fired from his job and was unable to find new employment, of course, due to these charges. Finally, in December of 2018, just one year ago, these charges were dropped. Grant's story was that he had taken the vials of the medication to give to patients who were not, quote, adequately relaxed by doctor-ordered medication and prosecutors decided not to pursue charges against him. So basically, he thought they weren't being sedated enough or relaxed enough and was like, I'm just going to give them what they need because I'm in charge here? Well, he was a nurse, so... Yeah, but you have to. He, they have to get in doctor's orders. They can't just take it upon themselves, right? So, Well, I think there are some things that nurses are authorized to you know, to give to patients without a doctor's order. So I don't know. I'm not familiar with that medication or anything in the nursing field. So I really don't know. But I was taking it as the assumption that his story to the paramedics and the police that showed up was that, no, I I don't have these for any like bad purpose. I actually have these on me because I was given into my patients for this reason. And that's why I have these vials of this medication on me. So I kind of got it as something that he was allowed to do. And that was kind of his whole way of getting out of this by saying that he had them for a legitimate reason. Okay. I took it as that he was saying he had it for a legitimate reason, but really he should not have been in the position to give them that medication. Cause yeah, you're right. They can give certain medications, but I don't, I feel like that's kind of a strong one for them to be able to prescribe without a doctor's order, but I could be wrong. I'm wrong a lot as the herb herb debate went on. We right. And I really can't help you with this one because I actually have no idea. (laughs) So the subject of Grant's unemployment was really a hot issue around the Amato household. For months, Grant had been getting by on his family's dime. His brother would give him money, pay for his needs, and he even paid for Grant to take a trip to Japan. Grant's parents also provided him access to their credit cards. During this time where Grant was out of work, he attempted to start up a Twitch account. And Mandy luckily did some research for me because I have heard of Twitch account, but I didn't really get it. Twitch is a streaming platform where gamers can go live stream, like have their games live streamed for other people to watch. This kind of reminds me of like a new version of unboxing. <laughs> you yes, know, like the unboxing it's a lot stuff. like that. Yeah. yeah. 
except for they're getting paid for people to do it. So Grant's goal with this was we assumed to become popular enough and like get enough of a following that this would turn into a source of income. So he could play these games, people would watch and he would get paid. And so Mandy looked up how much Twitch streamers are really making and it can range, you know, of course, depending on how many viewers you have. Sponsored streams range from one penny to $1 per viewer per hour. So if you are able to get up to 10,000 viewers, that could have been between $1,000 to $10,000 for one hour of gameplay. So there's a lot of money to be made in there, but it's going to, of course, take money to get there and promote yourself. And Grant's family seems really supportive and even gave him money um, so that he could advertise his Twitch stream and get people watching it. At this time in Grant's life, he had $100,000 in student loan debt, but he did have his bachelor's degree in nursing. He had attempted to go to anesthesiology school with his brother, but he was kicked out of the program for poor attendance. He was also thousands of dollars in debt to his family, who had been supporting him for six months while he got his life back in order. Everyone, of course, was really thrilled when Grant started applying for jobs again in December of 2018. He had been on a few interviews at that point, but nothing that had led to employment. Grant was 29 years old and had never lived on his own or really had to take care of himself, and his parents seemed to kind of enable this behavior that they actually disliked in their son. It seemed that Grant was really more interested in sitting on the couch or playing on his computer than he was actually finding a job and starting to support himself. The amount of money that Grant was spending was also significant, and Grant was continuously untruthful about what he was actually spending all of this money on. You'd think if you're living at home, you're not going to be spending a ton of money. There's not a lot... There's not a lot for you to do. Like, what are you spending all this money on? Right. But as it would turn out, Grant was actually in the midst of an internet and sex addiction that had been going on for several years. He liked to use the internet to fulfill his desires. And in this addiction, he had used his family's money to support it. Back in July of 2018, Grant discovered the online world of webcam sites, and he was instantly hooked on this. So the idea behind these websites is that people can go on them and they can pay women to perform either sexual acts or, you know, model in different lingerie. And they're usually set up like a chat room where there's multiple people watching this one woman usually. And all these viewers kind of try to out tip each other and try to, you know, so it's basically just a lot of people that are paying this woman to keep being on her camera, you know, and and putting on a live show for them. But what I don't get is out tipping. <laughs> That's where you kind of lose me. Like, it's one thing to give her money, but like, I don't get the well, competition. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> While I was like reading some stuff about this case that I was kind of fascinated by that too. I'm like, I don't understand. Everybody is kind of in these rooms and, and everyone is chatting back and forth. Like all these guys are in there and they're chatting back and forth. And I guess they like get to know each other also. So it's like they go there to hang out on the internet. Like it's like a regular chat room, but then there's this other thing going on is that's kind of the vibe that I got from it was that Grant was like, had these like friends that were on there and like, I I don't know. And they would all try to like impress the woman. And so they would all be like giving her coins and got it. That's kind of how I took it from what I was understanding. Okay. So this website had um, actually its own currency. So Grant was actually using real money to buy these tokens that he needed to have this private one-on-one interaction with any of the women on this website that he wanted to. He could use his tokens for anything. So he used his brother's credit card and tried out a few different of these cam models, but he eventually grew a liking for this one in particular, and it was this woman in Bulgaria named Sylvie. 
Grant spent the next six months stealing money from his family members to pay Sylvie for various things, including just time spent online with her and chatting or having her webcam on and, you know, he was sending her gifts and things that she would have in these videos. So by that fall, things were really, really stressful in the Amato household. Grant's relationship with his parents and his brother had really deteriorated And it was all over the financial strain that Grant was putting on all of them. In November of 2018, his family learned of his relationship with this Bulgarian cam model. And at this point, he had been talking to her, as I said, for six months. And he had sent her over $200,000, all, of course, while, you know, himself being unemployed. Oh, my gosh. So that is quite a bit of money over a six-month period to have funded with you know, your parents' money and your brother's money, and you're not even really telling them what you're doing with it. And then they find out all of this. So you can imagine how shocking that would be to his parents and his brother to learn that this is what Grant has been spending his time doing. Right. So Grant was actually spending about four hours a night watching Sylvie on her webcam. She would just dance and model. And he was spending about $600 to get 5,000 tokens on this website. And Sylvie, I guess, charred her rate was 90 tokens per minute. So he was using all of this time, these tokens he was paying for and getting, you know, like I said, about four hours of time with this woman online every night. So on December 20th, these Things really came to a head when Grant took off in a kind of a negative mental state without really telling his parents or anybody where he was going. And Margaret and Cody were so concerned that they reported him missing. And they told the police that based on recent contact and events and, you know, talking to Grant, they believed that he was suicidal and he was at risk of hurting himself. Grant actually ended up going to his Aunt Donna's home in Apopka, Florida, where he slept all day and stayed the night. While he was there, he actually stole his aunt's credit card information, and she started noticing strange charges on her statements as well. So Chad and Margaret pleaded with Donna not to go to the police over this, and Cody promised to repay all of the fraudulent charges of Grant. So his whole family is really, really focused on helping him and keeping him out of trouble. And his father, Chad, actually broke down in this conversation that he had with Aunt Donna and told her that, you know, they were aware of this you know, situation with their son, Grant, and they are really trying to work to keep him out of trouble that he said he had remortgaged their house to personally take care of $150,000 worth of the debt. And he told her, you know, he knows he's going to have to work a few more years longer than he wanted to, but it was worth it to keep Grant out of jail and out of trouble. So he's basically saying, please don't go to the police about, you know, my son stealing your credit card information and, and charging things on your card. You could see that the levels they were willing to go to to kind of, right. you know, to pr- protect their son who they they realize has some kind of a problem going on. On December 22nd, just a few days later, Grant's family finally had enough of all this. He had still been crashing at Aunt Donna's house and his family decided to go there and pretty much have an intervention. His dad, Chad, laid down the law and told Grant that he was being sent to a rehab facility in Fort Lauderdale called Cornerstone. And this was a program that was 60 days of inpatient treatment. It was going to cost $15,000 and Grant's brother Cody footed the bill for this. And this is after Cody has already given Grant, you know, he's already supporting him, you know, it's pretty much his lifeline. And he's also paid $8,000 for his lawyer whenever he was going through these grand theft 
investigation and charges. And so the goal at this cornerstone place was to treat the internet and sex addiction that Grant had spent so much of his family's money on and really seemed to be consuming his entire life. So they packed him up and they drove him down to Fort Lauderdale with this understanding that things were going to be much different at home whenever he came back. And we're going to get into a lot more details of this story after a quick break for a word from this week's sponsors. We've made it past Thanksgiving and we are in the home stretch of the holidays and this decade, which means we have a lot to celebrate and a lot to do. Making a delicious dinner that our families will love while also not killing ourselves seems impossible this month. But thanks to America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh, it's a snap to get easy seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. HelloFresh delivers step-by-step recipes to pre-measured ingredients, giving you everything you need to have a wow-worthy dinner on your table in just about 30 minutes. I love to cook, but like most people, I sometimes get stuck in a dinner rut. HelloFresh helps me break out of my dinner rut with their 20-plus seasonal chef-curated recipes each week. And keeping things seasonal means not getting a box to make hot soup in July in Florida. There is really something for everyone, from the family recipes Melissa and I have been getting, which are a huge hit with kids and adults, to the vegetarian and fun menu series like the Hall of Fame and Kraft Burgers. Plus, if you're trying to avoid all the holiday goodies, they even have a calorie-smart option. This week, I tried the crispy Parmesan chicken with garlic herb couscous and lemony roasted carrots. To be honest, couscous did not sound appetizing to me as I have the palate of a toddler, but HelloFresh helps you season things and cook them to perfection, so even a picky eater like me enjoys things like couscous. HelloFresh also has more five-star recipes than any other meal kit, so you know you're getting something delicious. And that's why I'll do things like try couscous because it comes in my HelloFresh box. Guys, don't miss out. This is an incredible deal. Get nine free meals with HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder9 and using code MomsAndMurder9. Again, get nine free meals with HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com slash MomsAndMurder9 and using code MomsAndMurder9. I'm looking to be the healthiest me I can be in 2020, which in theory sounds great, but if I don't get a jump start on that now, it's going to be really hard to get into the new year, new me mindset. That's why I'm thankful for my Care Of subscription. Care Of is a wellness brand that helps you get the right vitamins, supplements, and protein powders for your specific needs. And Care Of makes finding out what you need really easy. I took a short and fun five-minute quiz and answered easy questions about my diet, lifestyle, and health needs. Let me tell you, it is way easier to tell a computer how much Diet Coke I drink rather than telling my doctor. And when I see my doctor, he always tells me that I need to up my vitamin D intake. So I make sure to just include that information in the quiz because let's be honest, I am not just going to go buy that myself. After taking the quiz, my care of order was shipped right to my front door in convenient and cute daily packs that are perfect for a busy, on the go, always bringing a kid somewhere lifestyle. I can throw a few packs in my purse for the week so they are right at my fingertips, right next to the goldfish and 30 things of chapstick. I love that my care of vitamins and supplements are personalized for me down to the packaging. Each vitamin pack or protein tub has my name on it as well as a funny quip or anecdote for the day. Because care of makes it so convenient and fun, it makes it super easy to continue to take your vitamins and to maintain healthy habits as the cooler months approach us. For 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter MOMS50. Again, for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter MOMS50. And now back to the episode. 
So before the break, we were talking about how Grant Amato was going off to this rehab for his internet and porn addiction after spending over $250,000 of his family's money on this webcam model in Bulgaria. To say that Grant's family was fed up with him at this point would really be an understatement. They had watched as he blew through his father's life savings and retirement fund that he had worked so hard for over his lifetime. Grant had spent $60,000 on his brother's credit card and had also taken a $65,000 loan out on his parents' house, in addition to the dad's $150,000 one, right? That's crazy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how... uh, How he does that? Yeah. I don't either, unless there's some kind of fraudulent something going on. I'm sure he's not on any sort of (laughs) paperwork for that. That's so crazy. So sending him to a rehab facility was really this desperate attempt for the family to get Grant back down to reality and help him get back on his feet as a working member of society. Unfortunately, though, the rehab center actually disagreed that Grant should be spending this entire 60 days there getting treatment. When Grant arrived at the center, he told them that there was really nothing wrong with him and that things were really just stressful with his parents. He explained how he had lost his job and had a hard time finding a new one and that he had PTSD from this whole experience of being accused of stealing drugs and then subsequently losing his job. The treatment center then determined that it was really an isolated incident with this situational PTSD and they really didn't feel that he didn't need to complete a 60-day program and they released him on January 4th. So that's just like a couple weeks. That's crazy. Yeah. Over the short time that Grant was gone, his family had come up with some ground rules that he would really need to follow once he returned home. And they put all of their expectations down in this letter that they gave to Grant when he got home in early January. For starters, Grant was being cut off. He would have no cell phone service and no more free reign of other people's credit cards. He was also forbidden to speak to Sylvia again at all, and he had to get a job to work to repay the money he had swindled from his family. They also suggested that he consider joining the military. But Grant did not heed his family's warnings, and almost immediately after returning home, he was talking to Sylvia again. Margaret would actually enable this by allowing Grant to use her cell phone so that he could talk to Sylvia on Twitter. At some point, she sent Grant a link to her webcam feed and told him that he could watch it. When Grant's dad found out that he had been in contact with Sylvia, he was furious. On January 24th, 2019, Chad initiated an angry confrontation with Grant over his refusal to follow the rules of the home. The argument escalated, and Chad told Grant that he needed to pack up his things and get out. Grant allegedly took quite some time gathering his belongings from the home that evening, and he spent some time transferring things from flash drives and loading up his car, which was a white Honda Accord. He finally left the home between 9 and 9.30 that night, and... He was really on his own for the first time in his life and didn't have a working cell phone because, of course, his parents have cut that off. So at this point in the story, there are conflicting accounts about exactly what happened or where Grant went after he left the family home. But we're going to fill in some of the blanks on that kind of as we go along and we'll get into it a little bit more. So on this night that Grant had argued with his father and left home, Grant's brother Cody was working a shift at the hospital, and he wasn't there to help de-escalate this situation as he usually would have. But records do show that Cody left work early that night, and Grant alleges that Cody actually met up with him on the side of the road kind of nearby where their house is. According to Grant, the two brothers talked for about 10 minutes and then Cody gave him his debit card and said that he would, quote, take care of everything at home. 
Apparently, this was really Cody's typical role, and Grant would, you know, always be having these fights and arguments with their parents, and then Cody would step in and be this big brother that tried to smooth things over on Grant's behalf. So Grant alleges that after he met with Cody, they parted ways, and Cody went back to their home, and Grant was just going to go find a place to sleep for the night. So this was really a particularly stressful night for Grant to have been kicked out of his house because he had a job interview scheduled for 10 a.m. the very next morning. So, of course, you know, this is not a good night to to be sleeping in your car or whatever. You're going to have this job interview the next day. So he pulled into a local Publix parking lot, which is a grocery store. We've talked about it lots of times on the show. And he was going to stay there for the night, I guess, sleeping in his car. So he actually used his laptop to connect to the store's Wi-Fi and from outside so that he could look up the address for his job interview. And he spent some time looking at a few other things on his phone. So he then allegedly slept in his car until around 7 in the morning when he supposedly woke up and drove himself to his interview, which was scheduled for 10 a.m. But Grant says that he actually arrived there at 9 in the morning and just waited. And he ended up being interviewed at around 9.45 that morning. But while Grant was in this interview, something terrible was unfolding back at his home. One of Cody's co-workers at the hospital had sounded the alarm when Cody did not show up for a surgery that morning. She called 911 and you could really hear the worry just coming out in her voice as she told the operator how uncharacteristic it was for Cody to just not show up to his job. She said that he just, quote, was not that kind of guy at all. And her purpose for calling was to just simply get somebody out there to go do a welfare check on him. And a nurse anesthetist, like, they're needed in surgery. That's not a job you just be like, well, I'm calling out and one of my colleagues will take in. Like, that's a big deal if he's not not there, you know. I would imagine it'd be really difficult to get somebody in there on short notice. It would be alarming for your coworkers, yeah. Super, absolutely. Seminole County deputies arrived at the home around 9.17 a.m. that morning. Cody's car was in the driveway, but there was no answer when officers knocked on the door of the home. Attempts were made to call all of the Amato cell phones, and all calls went unanswered. As a final attempt to get a response, the deputies sounded an air horn outside the home, but it remained quiet and still inside. All of this commotion going on outside the home was taking place over the course of a couple of hours. After a while had gone by with no updates from the police, Cody's coworker called 911 again to ask for more information, but this time her voice sounded really outright panicky. She told officers that she wasn't expecting the worst, but that she was very concerned for her friend. She said that she knew his brother Grant had been struggling recently with depression and had been having a really rough time with the family, and she had a strong sense that something terrible had happened. The operator told the woman that officers were still on the scene at the property, but that's all they really knew at that time. Once police had exhausted all efforts to actually make contact with someone inside the home, they decided it was time to enter the home themselves. An officer found a knife outside and used it to force his way into a door on the side of the house. Their fears were confirmed when Deputy Todd Molderson discovered the body of Chad Amato in the kitchen of the home. He had been shot two times in the head with his lunchbox laying in a pool of blood nearby, suggesting that he was shot as he arrived home from work. As officers moved through the home, they discovered the bodies of Margaret and Cody Amato as well. Margaret was found in her home office slumped over her desk. She had also been shot execution style. Cody was then found in the home gym near the garage entrance to the house. 
As for Grant, well, of course, he was conveniently missing, and it would take the police several hours to track him down. After Grant's job interview, he checked into a Doubletree Hotel near University of Central Florida at 2.47 p.m., which is where the police eventually arrested him the following morning. So I watched some police body cam footage of this takedown of taking down Grant Amato, and it was really a whole process. So you just, it was just, I don't know why I know you always know that a lot goes into these investigations and, you know, whenever, especially when they're going to arrest somebody that they suspect, um, you know, of a, of a huge crime like this, but you just really don't think about how much planning and work goes into this. But there was hours of body cam footage of these officers at this hotel trying to make sure that they got this whole thing right. And, you know, of course, being that they're arresting him in a hotel, they, there's a lot of other people around. So they have to consider, you know, they don't know if he's going to be armed. They don't know what, you know, what his attitude is going to be like whenever they encounter him. And they want to make sure, of course, that everybody else is safe. So the police were, you know, they had to secure this entire hallway of this hotel. And it was early in the morning. And they were, like, going around quietly trying to knock on all of, you know, the neighboring rooms and get everybody out. And so people were answering the doors and they're in pajamas. And the police are, like, there's, like, an entire team of police in the hallway. And they're, like, you guys have to get out and go down to the lobby. And, like, it was crazy. Like, imagine – being at a hotel and having that happen, you know, the police are knocking on your door and telling you to get out. So it was really, it was really something to watch. I actually got sucked into it, even though, I mean, a lot of it was like very tedious, but I watched it for longer than I intended to. I wanted to just kind of see like, you know, I wanted to watch them get, you know, get him under arrest, but I wanted to just kind of see how it went. And I ended up watching a lot of it. It was very fascinating watching how they work, kind of worked that situation. So when the police were finally ready to confront Grant, it was actually a very easy process. Grant kind of, you know, he saw the police and he laid right down on the ground and just crawled out of his room and really submitted to being arrested without fighting it at all. And he was really, really calm given these circumstances. He was so cooperative that the police actually uncuffed him while they talked to him in the hallway, and Grant agreed on his own accord to go down to the police station to be interviewed. So something interesting to note here is that Grant never even one time asked the police why there was so many officers there and why they were arresting him or what any of this was about. And I also watched a lot of the interrogation tapes in this case, and Grant's behavior was really bizarre for the situation the entire time. He was really, really calm and didn't even really display any nervous mannerisms or anything like a person typically would if the police have just arrested them and are now taking them down for questions. So we are going to get into the rest of this story after one last break for a word from this week's sponsors. talking about FabFitFun and how much we love it for quite some time now. But this week, I wanted to talk about what FabFitFun means to me. My fab is doing my hair and having every curl fall in the right place or trying out a new beauty product that makes me say, this is the one I've been looking for. My fun is having a small gathering with close friends while we snack on cute little Pinterest-style hors d'oeuvres, and now I can add receiving my seasonal FabFitFun box to the fun category as well. As soon as my FabFitFun box arrives, I make a beeline to my room to unbox it as quickly as possible. 
Once a season, you actually get to visit the FabFitFun website to customize your box. So even though I got to choose a few things I wanted, like this time I had to choose between the Unhide Foffer blanket or the Rebecca Minkoff beanie set, being a total blanket hog, I chose the Foffer blanket. Plus there are always some things that are surprises each month, which is equally as fun. What I consistently have loved with my FabFitFun box is that I always get eight to 10 full-size beauty, fitness, home and wellness products from some of my favorite brands or brands I've heard of but haven't tried yet. What's worse than finding a product you love only to be able to use it three times because it's a trial size? One of my favorite products this time was the R&Co Television Perfect Hair Shampoo and Conditioner. The name doesn't lie. If I were on television, I'd have the perfect hair for it after using this product. FabFitFun is a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty, fitness, fashion, and lifestyle products. The box retails for $49.99 but always has a value over $200. Use coupon code MOMS for $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. Again, use coupon code MOMS for $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. Life comes at you fast, but when you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will you be able to fit it into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered and at times that are convenient for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it is truly an affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com moms and use the discount code moms. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about Grant Amato's arrest in the hotel and how he was being taken to the police station for questioning. Two detectives actually came in to speak with him and they started the interrogation the way they would with anyone, which is sort of to befriend the suspect and get them comfortable talking. Grant opened up to the officers immediately. He told them all of his basic information, his educational background, all about his struggles at home, and how he had been unemployed for quite some time. By this point, the detectives had already verified some of the information that Grant had given them. They already knew about his background and the charges that were dropped the previous year, and they had already confirmed that he did in fact go to that job interview the day his family was found murdered. But the officers are also aware of Grant's relationship with Sylvie and how that has affected his family in the recent months. Although police haven't told Grant why he was there yet, he was their number one suspect. They continued to make small talk with Grant, hoping to get him to bring up the cam model he had been talking to, but Grant really just kept it cool and casual. He told police that his brothers and parents had been supporting him financially and that he had been feeling depressed lately, but it was really nothing that serious. Grant was asked about his relationship with each member of his family, and he had a really stoic demeanor as he described each of those relationships. He had nothing but good things to say about his brother Cody, who had always been there for him. He said that his father could be overbearing and somewhat abusive towards him, but that overall he was a good guy. And when Grant spoke of his mother, it appeared that they had a very close and loving relationship as well. 
After three hours of interrogation, Grant had still never asked the police why he was there. This comes up later as being highly suspicious and definitely not typical of the way someone would normally act in this situation. Most people being grilled by police about their families would be like, hey, you're asking a lot of questions about my family. Is there a reason you're asking a lot of questions about my family? What's going on? And he never does this. So eventually Grant tells the detectives that his family had sent him to the rehab center just a few weeks back, but didn't really mention exactly what he was there for. He told the officers that he went for depression. But after a while of talking in circles, Grant admitted to police that much of the issue had been with all of this money that he had spent. This opened the conversation up for officers to ask more about what he was spending the money on in hopes of getting him to talk about Sylvie. After already spending hours with the police, Grant finally explained that he had spent $200,000 of his family's money on this cam girl in Bulgaria and that that was really at the heart of the tension between them. Around this time, the investigators moved into a phase of interrogation called the confrontation phase, and this is where they start asking direct and pointed questions at him. So they began by asking him, you know, hey, why do you even think you're here right now? Why do you think we're, you know, doing an interrogation? Why have you been arrested? And, you know, what is it that you think we're doing? And he said he didn't know why he was there, but that at, at that point he was getting pretty freaked out, you know. Three hours later? Out. <laughs> hours in, you know, after he's hasn't, you know, supposedly has no idea why he's there. So they pressed Grant for details about the night before the shootings. And Grant told him the story of how he had argued with his father and then left the house around nine or nine 30. And it was his, you know, assertion to the detectives that his mom must have called his brother at work and told him about their argument because Cody had left work early that night. And, you know, they had met up on the side of the road. So, it, there's some questions there about how would Cody even find Grant since Grant didn't have a phone, but Grant kind of explained them away by saying, you know, I just stayed in the general area of my house, you know, in case anyone came looking for me, then they would be able to find me easily. Grant alleged that he got to the public's parking lot at around 1230 in the morning, and the police verified that he did access the store's Wi-Fi from his laptop around that time. He said that he had gone to the hotel after his interview that morning because his father, you know, said, don't come back to the house. And he also alleged that his dad gave him money to get this hotel room. Of course, that's questionable now, given the circumstances. So Grant admitted that he had driven past his house the morning that the bodies were discovered. This is all in the police interrogation. He tells the police, you know, yeah, actually, that morning I did drive past my house, but I saw a lot of commotion And I just turned around and drove off. And he says it never occurred to him to check, you know, to try to contact any of his family members after he sees police and ambulances and everything at their home. Like he just tells the police, yeah, I, I didn't even, you know, I didn't bother to like find out anything about that. I just went to the hotel is what he says. Police ended up finding more evidence that he also used the Wi-Fi at a local Panera to search the local news outlets that day. And he clicked on a page about a story about three people who had been shot and it even listed his street. But yet he still did not try to contact anyone. Of course, the police are using this to say, like, why wouldn't you do that? This is weird. And like, this is a sign of guilt. So these detectives are trying to work their way into possibly getting Grant to confess, you know, knowing what happened to his family. But he really was not budging. And he continued to kind of play dumb about why he was there. One of the detectives asked him again, you know, why do you think we're here talking to you today? And Grant said he thought something bad must have happened to someone in his family. But 
told the police, you know, that's just something I can barely even form the words and say. And so at that point, the detectives told him that, yeah, something has happened to your family. Both of your parents and your brother were found dead in your home this morning. And Grant had pretty much no reaction to this at all. He didn't ask any follow-up questions after learning that, you know, his whole family really is dead. Through seven hours of interrogation, he never admitted knowing anything at all about their deaths or how they died or anything. And the police actually didn't really have any physical evidence to tie him to the murders. When he was arrested, he was wearing completely clean clothes. There was no blood or DNA evidence on him to connect him to the crime. So they had to let him leave. But before they released him that night, they had his older brother, Jason, come in and talk to him. And his brother, you know, they you see them on the video. They're giving each other a hug and they're kind of crying a little bit. But his brother essentially said, you know, I love you. I'm going to pray for you. But I don't believe that you didn't have something to do with this. And I'm not comfortable being around you by myself. So that was kind of really emotional yeah. and, and moving. Like I was watching that and I was like, oh, my gosh, I just I can't even imagine, you know, being in in the older brother's situation, having to go visit my brother, you know, at the police station for something like this. Like this is just beyond anything I could even right. think of. So Grant was then released, but he was rearrested nine hours later and officially charged in the murders. Grant's trial took place just this past August, which is kind of quick. He was going to rehab last December. So this has been within a year, the murders have taken place and the trial has taken place. So during the trial, the jury got to see lots of digital evidence against Grant in this case. There were thousands of messages and pornographic photos on Grant's laptop and detailed records of all the money that he had sent to Sylvie. They also found different things that Sylvie had mailed to Grant, such as handwritten Christmas cards and a piece of paper with her lipstick print on it. One could deduce from the evidence that Grant actually believed he was in a real relationship with this woman. He told her everything and shared his hopes and dreams with her, and of course, she encouraged it since he was paying her. She had been a cam model for nine years already, and she knew how to get men hooked on her attention and manipulate them into sending her money and buying her gifts. Sylvie believed that Grant was a rich professional gamer and had no idea that he was actually stealing the money from his family to speak with her. The prosecution laid out their theory, which was that Grant shot his mother first while she was working at her desk, and they alleged that he shot her around 4.30 p.m. that afternoon. In the state's opinion, they believed that Grant turned the gun on his father as soon as he got home from work that evening, and then shot Cody the same way when he got home later that night. Grant's defense team tried to dispute this timeline, saying that it really didn't add up because there was cell phone activity on the victim's phones after the times that the state said they were murdered. A neighbor of the Amados took the stand and testified that she heard gunshots at around 8.30 or 9.30 that night, which lines up with the timeline that prosecutors believe Cody was shot. The prosecution also pointed out that Grant had the motive to commit these murders and that nobody else really had any reason to hurt this family. They also showed evidence that Grant had used his laptop and his brother's credit card that night in the public's parking lot to make contact with Sylvie just hours after prosecutors say that he shot his family. Grant's own grandmother took the stand and said she believed that Grant had done this. After eight hours of deliberation, the jury returned with a guilty verdict. When it came time for sentencing, Grant was spared the death penalty and was instead sentenced to life in prison. He was 30 years old at the time of his sentencing. Wow. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, there's not really a whole lot to say there. It's just a really, really wild story. I was a little confused about the... Uh, not confused. I guess I just have questions. So that the state was saying he shot 
each of them, you know, hours apart from each other. If he shot, you know, his mom at 430 in the afternoon that day and then his dad a couple of hours later and then Cody even after that. But there it does leave a lot of questions about what exactly happened that afternoon. It's confirmed that Cody did leave work early. So somebody must have called him. But if the mom was shot that early in the Mm -hmm. evening, that doesn't really make any sense. And then why did Grant tell the police about the fight that he had with his dad if he said that he argued with his dad and then he left? I mean, it would make sense to say I argued with my dad and, you know, and then maybe then, you know, I shot my everybody in the family in the house. But it just seems weird, like if they're alleging, you know, the father had the lunchbox in hand and looked like he was shot right when he came home, you know, from the door. So I'm I'm guessing I'm I'm jumping to the conclusion that there was never an argument that took place that Grant already had planned on mm. doing this. And but I don't know why he would tell the police then about the argument, because that doesn't look good in his favor anyway. Yeah. Who knows? It could have been an argument the day before and he had had enough or whatever. And so that's part of the story. But I don't think anything he did made him look good. So I don't think he was even thinking like that. You know what I mean? Like, I would be like, well, I don't want to tell them about this argument I had, but I don't think he even cared. I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. But the story is so sad because you can tell this entire family really wanted him to get help. You know, whether it was the right thing or not, they were helping him how they thought was best to help him. And it's just so sad that like, the dad tried to keep him out of jail. And now he's in prison forever and they're all dead. You know, there's just no happy yeah. ending in it at all. And now Grant's in a cell and can't contact Sylvie. So literally nothing good came of the entire thing whatsoever. It, it's just sad all the way around. Yeah, definitely. All right, Melissa, are we ready to turn the page to last thing before we go? Yes, absolutely. It is the first of the month, and so that means that we are doing our hero segment this week. So we actually pulled a hero from our Facebook group. This is somebody that has been posting in our group for a little while now, and we've kind of gotten to know a little bit about her. Melissa, would you like to read us the post that made this person our hero this week, this month? Okay. But I, if my voice cracks, it's just because I have allergies. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just going to read exactly what she wrote because paraphrasing won't do any of it justice. This is Amanda B. Last week, I shared a pic my son Adrian's teacher sent me of my daughter Peyton walking with her older brother. Many people commented and shared their own stories. Thank you. I love hearing these stories. Some also made comments about having a sibling with special needs, how it teaches children to be kind and treat everyone with respect. You have no idea how right you are. So yeah, she posted something a few weeks before and lots of people in our group commented. It was really very wholesome and sweet and I loved it. So if it's okay, I'd like to share more. Adrian is a twin. His twin brother, Aaron, a few years ago raised money for autism research by taking donations to cut his hair. He raised over $1,000 for autism research and shaved his head. And Peyton, who is her daughter, I guess I should tell the rest of the story of Peyton. When Peyton was in fourth grade, the school did candy grams at Valentine's Day. She came home and asked if she could use her allowance to purchase candy grams for the kids in the special needs class because she was afraid they wouldn't get any. So she took it upon herself to start doing that. Every year at Valentine's Day, Peyton uses the money she saved up and purchases candy and valentines and delivers them to all the special needs classes at this elementary school and the junior high and high school. Three years ago, Peyton came to me and said she wanted to do more. She felt that the kids in the special needs classes should have a special day just for them. She contacted everyone we know and raised money. She contacted the local theater and arranged for them to open on a school day and have a special showing of a movie for all these kids. All the kids saw the movie, got popcorn, soda, and candy during the show, and then afterwards she purchased enough pizza and drinks for each class to have a pizza party. 
The next year, she sold cupcakes and raised enough money to take all these kids to the Louisville Zoo for a day. And each child also got a zoo-themed drawstring backpack filled with zoo-themed goodies and toys. Last year, she decided she wanted to make sure kids had a good Christmas, but was afraid she wouldn't be able to do so. Do it if she ran a trial run by focusing on the junior high high school class. She raised enough money to purchase each child a Mickey or Minnie Mouse Scentsy Buddy and a stocking filled with goodies. It was a success, so this year she raised enough money to purchase every single special needs child in the school district at Winnie the Pooh or Tiger Sense, Tigger Scentsy Buddy and a stocking filled with goodies. Peyton informed me that she was looking forward to Christmas so that she could deliver these gifts, not because of the gifts she will receive. I don't know that Aaron and Peyton would have done things differently if it wasn't for Adrian, their brother, and the lessons they've learned. It's definitely changed my perspective and theirs of the world. Definitely blessed in unexpected ways. And I don't know if it like really said this in the beginning, but their brother, Adrian, so it's Adrian, Aaron, and Peyton, and Adrian has autism, and Aaron and Peyton are the brother and sister. And so they've like, as a family, just done these amazing things. See, I told you. Um, thanks to like really having this relationship with their brother, like seeing that there's a need and and doing it, and they're just amazing. They're kids. They like are. adults That's don't even do that. Much. Amazing. And she's posted about her kids before in the group, and people have always just come and really lifted them up and like kind of encouraged her because she is raising some great kids, and they really are amazing. And so, yes, absolutely, everybody in this family is my hero right now. This month. I know it's amazing. I am going to be an emotional wreck and I don't feel like doing that tonight. So this is really incredible. I love it so much. It means a lot to me that they're doing that. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get out of here, I just have one last thing. My really good friend, Angie, her daughter listens to the show. Her name is Maddie. And hi, Maddie. I'm saying hi to you now. She um, turned 13 and she listens to our show. So I told Angie I would give her daughter a shout out and I'm really excited to do that. So happy birthday, Maddie. Welcome to your teenage years. I promise they are awesome. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say that, but happy 13th birthday. Nobody asked me to say that, but I want to say it from the bottom of my heart. Happy 13th birthday. So that is it for the show this week. We will be back next week. Same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.